0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. You know, we're afraid of what's going to happen, or maybe we have this fear of failure. We don't try new things, we don't kind of like stretch ourselves, put ourselves in unfamiliar settings try for different jobs or make changes or something like this because we have fear of failure fear of endings maybe we're awkward around when something ends and it's time to say goodbye and just leave or, or we hold on too tightly or don't want to even just deal with it when a coworker leaves or somebody moves away or whatever this is there's like this uncomfortableness this fear of endings or this fear of, I, I want to say not being in control, but we're really not in control as much as we think we are, but kind of maybe fear of like just the feeling of not being in control. Of course, we want things to go the way that we want them to go. And this fear of maybe feeling Unworthy. Of course everybody's worthy. Being unworthy doesn't actually exist, but doesn't mean people don't feel that way. Feel like okay, in order to be worthy I have to succeed or serve or you know, I have to do something. It's really if we kind of like want to look at it in this way, we'll see that there's fear is like so prevalent. It's really having a big role in our lives. This is part of the reason why, you know, fear is something to look at and become familiar with and learn to work with. Last week I talked about the F-E-A-R practice, the fear practice. F is for friend, kind of say like befriend the fear. E is for explore the fear. A is for allow the fear. And R is release the Maybe it's not so much that we we're actively doing the releasing, but releasing of fear happens when we are exploring and allowing and being friendly with it. And certainly the Buddha he gave some teachings on fear. I'm not going to go into all of them today. But wouldn't it be easier if there just weren't fear? <laughs> if there just wasn't. It's just fear we just didn't have fear, if that just didn't arise. It would be so much easier. Just think like how much freedom we would have. The the things that we could do if there weren't fear. How many people we could benefit and support. Ourselves and so many others if we didn't have fear. So, the Buddha, he talked about this road to Fearlessness. I stumbled upon this um, this verse that's kind of like tucked away in the Samyutta Nikaya. It's maybe not uh, so common, but I thought I'd play around a little bit and explore kind of like these instructions to fearlessness instead of just learning how to be with fear, how to just not have fear. So... Kind of like this, uh, it's written in verse. It's very, uh, it's common. There's a lot of things that are written in verse. But maybe I'll just say, in a little aside, that to translate polyverse into English depends on your point of view, is either really difficult or really easy. Because it doesn't follow the usual grammar rules. And it uses... uh, word forms that are really unusual and it uses maybe some archaic vocabulary like archaic even for Pali so in modern times you kind of there's a lot of interpretation that has to be done and um, so there's a way in which it's not you know like the verse is um, pointing towards something And then there's a way in which we can have to see it, make sense of it. And I thought maybe I'd share with you kind of some of my thinking. It's not, you don't have to agree with me, but I'll offer kind of like my interpretation. But part of the reason why I want to offer this is to encourage you to find your way to with some of what's being said here. And so maybe on the big page, so not only I'll say, not only does it use verse, but it's also using a metaphor and the metaphor is this idea of a chariot. You know, that was like the fastest thing, that was the only probably vehicle at the time, right, was a chariot. So this way, this door to get to fearlessness, apparently, according to this, you just have to get on the right chariot, go in the right direction. But what does that mean? Okay, so here's the verse, and then um, I'll unpack it, and I'll share with you some things here. And there's some things that are, I think a little bit surprising at least I felt surprised and then when I thought about it I felt kind of actually uh, happy it made me happy to think about this so the verse goes like this the path is called the straight way and fearless is its destination the chariot is called unswerving fitted with wheels of dharma Conscience is its leaning board, mindfulness its upholstery. I say the teachings is the charioteer with right view running out in front. One who has such a vehicle, whether a woman or a man, by means of this vehicle is in the presence of Nibbana. So there's this way that the destination is fearlessness, And it's also going towards Nibbana. This recognition that uh, freedom includes, like, freedom from fear, but also this movement towards greater and greater freedom, where there's a shedding of a lot of the fears. And a lot of that has to do because so many of these fears that I described at the beginning were fears about our sense of self, like how will we look to others, or will we be safe and have security, and as we find our way towards greater and greater peace and freedom, the sense of self is not as hungry for attention or needing to be uh, fed or protected. Or It's not as strong. It's uh, not driving the ship quite as often. I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get there, but maybe I'll start here with the first stanza. The path is called the straight way, And fearless is its destination. The chariot is called unswerving, fitted with wheels of dharma. So this idea of the path is called the straight way. Some of you may know that about the eightfold path, it's kind of like a foundational teaching in this tradition, is one of the way to um, awakening and it's, there's other places in the suttas where it's called the straight way. I just want to say a little bit about this eightfold path. As you might imagine, it has eight parts to it. I'm not going to define them, but I'll just say very quickly, we, um, before we use this word right, sama, I'm using the word right. I learned it this way. But often it's um, also you could translate it as wise or correct or appropriate. So, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right energy, right mindfulness, right concentration. My only reason why I'm saying all these eight is to point out that actually sometimes it gets summarized, sila, samadhi, panya, ethics, ethical behavior, mental development, wisdom. So these three buckets, these three types of practices is the Eightfold Path. And we'll see in this verse here that there's all three of these get mentioned, sila, samanipanya, panya, ethics, mental development, and wisdom. This it says, fearless is its destination. And as I was saying, that as um, we have a more freedom... There's this sense of self doesn't need to be propped up as much. But somebody who is completely awakened no longer has this idea that there's a central core or essence to their experience. It's not like they have something, a central core to which other things happen. Instead it's like there's just a bunch of things happening. This isn't something that you have to believe or you have to adopt a view about, but uh, this can be part of one's experience. so to be fearless doesn't is what uh means to no longer have fear because there isn't this core that has to be protected instead, they are with whatever is rising. And whatever is rising without building a story around it. Saying, like, oh, that was awkward, what I just said, or what that other person said. And then they don't have to make a story like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed that I tripped, or whatever. There isn't anything extra that gets added onto it. It's just like, oh, that's an experience. And it felt like this. And one thing that's interesting is, like, as there's more and more freedom, there's also more and more connection. So it's not like an aloofness; it's not like a separateness. It's instead of uh, trying to protect the core, it's like wanting to connect and support other people. So fearlessness—you could see where, if you didn't had fear, it's easier to show, to show up when others are having difficulties. It's easier to say the things that, you know, would really help somebody, but it's hard to say. Or it's easier to support people when they're waiting for test results back from the doctors or something like this. So this verse continues and it says, the chariot is called unswerving. This idea of unswerving... This goes along with the idea that it's the path is the straight way, so maybe the chariot doesn't need to be swerving. But I also would like to think about this as unswerving, as it doesn't go to other destinations. If we follow this eightfold path, sila manipanya, it's not like that we're going to end up someplace terrible where we don't want to go. It's going to bring us to fearlessness and greater freedom and peace. But here's something that I think is really evocative. When I think about when do I swerve when I'm in my own version of a chariot that has a four-cylinder engine and however many gears, you know, this kind of thing. We swerve often to avoid something for our safety, but, uh, you know, just to avoid things. What if this path means we don't have to avoid anything? everything becomes part of practice. Everything gets folded in. We don't have to try to disown parts of ourselves. We don't have to try to avoid certain situations. Instead, our capacity to be with difficulty grows. Our capacity to hold what's uncomfortable grows. So we start becoming more and more comfortable with being uncomfortable Like, okay, uncomfortableness feels like this. Pain feels like this. But our confidence even to be with the difficult things, right? We're all going to get sick in our lives. We're all going to have illness in our lives. We're all going to have people, pets, family members who die, right? It's unavoidable. So I like this idea like the path is going straight whatever arises next it's able to meet and this is the practice it turns out the path is meeting whatever arises that's we might think like oh this um often sometimes we talk about like the hindrances like this restlessness like okay I'll be able to practice or I'll be able to meditate as soon as this restlessness settles down or the opposite as soon as this sleepiness goes away it turns out that restlessness is the practice like to be with restlessness feel it in the body explore it learn how to hold it and There's all kinds of things we can do. Discover, like, what causes restlessness to increase, or what are the things that cause it to arise in the first place. All these things. I'm just using restlessness as an example. But this idea of the chariot is something that's going to lead us to fearlessness, is meeting whatever is in the way. And we can use as supports the, these factors of the Eightfold Path. Right action is about ethical behavior showing up in a way in which we're not causing harm. Not causing harm to others and not causing harm to ourselves. There's a way in which being mindful, just being present for what's happening, even if it is exactly what we don't want, Because, let's face it, sometimes we get exactly what we don't want. But sometimes there's a way in which being mindful, bringing some attention to it, helps to maybe uh, unpack it away from the dreaded, whatever it might be, the ending of a relationship. Maybe we desperately didn't want that to happen, or was afraid it was going to happen, and then it looks like it is happening doesn't help to pretend it isn't. Instead, it helps us like to turn towards and to, okay, what's needed here? What can be sensitive to what's needed? So this chariot is unswerving. And then the next line is fitted with wheels of Dharma. I like this expression, wheels of Dharma. And uh, one way that I'm thinking about this is maybe this contemporary uh, expression is where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> so the kind of like, the dharma, right? The dharma is not, yes, we use it for the, um, the Buddha's teachings, but really it's not like some just philosophical ideas that just exist in our minds or not just concepts or notions, But the Dharma is really how we show up in the world. It's the way in which, because these teachings that the Buddha offered, shared, are they're really pragmatic. It's not like here, just believe this stuff. It's more like uh, show up in this way. Because he's really concerned about what leads to suffering and the ending of suffering and things that you can see and discover for yourself, a real encouragement not to just believe the teachings. He was not interested in metaphysics or speculative views, or when somebody asked him, well, what's the nature of the cosmos? He didn't answer. And he said he didn't answer because that kind of thinking, those types of concerns, doesn't lead to the end of suffering. So when this chariot has that dhar- fitted with wheels of dharma it's like there's so many different ways we can think about this, but one is our practice is that what, what do we know about ways to be in the world, what can, what parts of the Eightfold Path can we bring? Maybe we can bring mindfulness, maybe we can bring right action if not harming right intention, bring in compassion Right effort is looking at, okay, what's uh, helpful, what's not helpful, what's wholesome, what's not wholesome. So fitted with wheels of dharma. And then the second stanza, or maybe I'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that there. The second stanza is, conscience is its leaning board, mindfulness its upholstery. I say, the teachings is the charioteer with right view running out in front. Let's unpack this a little bit. Conscience is its leaning board. So I tried to look this up, like what is a leaning board in a chariot, but it turns out it's not so common, I guess. I couldn't really find this. So this is my understanding. Is in This is in Diana's mind, right? When I uh, think of uh, chariots, is um, there's like somebody who's standing and it's like what's um, like protecting them in front so that they don't fall forward onto the horses or something like this so so conscience is its leaning board so it's this maybe thing that goes around like this and we could say it helps them from not falling out so conscience so conscience, some of you might know this poly word hiri and I'm translating it as conscience here and hiri is um, the Buddha called it like the one of the guardians of the world because it's this um, it's this sense of recognizing how uncomfortable it is when we've done something unwholesome when we've done something that we knew wasn't the best thing to do but we did it anyway And this hiri is this, you know, this um, wish to not cause harm. And it's based on a respect and a care for ourselves and for others. So it's not like this external, like, you should not do this. It's more of like, oh, it feels awful when I cause harm. And I care and respect others. So I want to take care. I don't want to cause harm. This feels for me like a nice way to think about how to be in the world. You know, it requires that we're sensitive to what's going on with ourselves, what feels uncomfortable. But it builds on this wish to support others and to support ourselves. Not like we have to choose ourselves or others, but both. So this idea of, Conscience as the leaning board is something that's here that helping us fall so that we don't fall out of the chariot of, um, that's carrying us towards fearlessness. And in this poem, in this verse, and with this metaphor, the chariot is we could also say is the practice, what's taking us to uh, fearlessness. And then there's this very Curious expression, mindfulness is its upholstery. I'm like what? <laughs> I did. I poked around in the, in the a poly here to say like, okay, um mm-hmm. is the poly. So it could also mean something like covering or drapery. But um, I was thinking, well, maybe, uh, you know, this is speculation on my part that. Uh, maybe like this chariot has a covering that protects them from whatever they need to be protected from. The sun, this is India, right? It's hot. And the, you know, the rain. But we can think of mindfulness as something that protects us from whatever it is we need protecting from. There's, a, I spoke about this earlier, there's a way in which if we can bring mindfulness, if we can bring attention to what's happening there's a way in which it protects us because it enables us to bring our best wisdom we're not necessarily less we're least less likely to be caught off guard but instead we can be noticing what's actually happening it's so common that when something's uncomfortable we start blaming or we, stir, or we collapse and then we're no longer kind of connected to what's actually happening. We're too busy like yelling at the other person or yelling at ourselves or just shutting down. But there's a way in which mindfulness, if we can stay present with what's happening, allows us to be sensitive to what's happening and not having to be like the blaming and the shutting down, kind of like blunt our awareness. And as best we can, right? Some some things in our lives are really difficult and it's difficult to be with but to have the aspiration to know that to know to pay attention to is better in the long run even though it might be uncomfortable than just trying to avoid or pretend it's not there. So mindfulness its upholstery I'm going to maybe say, and I thought about this when I was uh, driving here this evening, like upholstery. I looked at some other translators. They had the word accessory, but the Pali doesn't really support that. That w- it, This was uh, in a little, uh, little too far from the Pali. And then the second stanza goes with, I say the teachings is the charioteer. So actually, this word is dharma again. So the charioteer, the person who is doing the driving, is the practice. Or it's our practice. Or maybe it is the teachings. Dharma has so many different ways we can interpret this word. But I like this idea that it's guiding the journey. Like, where the chariot goes, but not only where, like how fast. Like maybe things need to move slowly. Maybe we need to stop and pick up some other passengers or let off some other passengers or something like this. Those people that we're sharing the chariot with or whomever we're sharing it with. But the charioteers... Maybe there's a way, if it's the dharma, it's also um, wanting to go towards where there's less suffering. So it's, in my mind, right, this this somebody that has their, on their reins, and uh, is doing what's best, wanting what's best for us. And then this idea that with right view running out front. So, The charioteer is following right view. Right view is out in front. So, right view, this is the first element in the Eightfold Path. Some of you might know, and I'm using this word right, not because the opposite is wrong. Right means, uh, like, the most appropriate or the most helpful, or in the same way that, like, um, the right tool like we don't bring a hammer if we're trying to undo a screw, the right tool is a screwdriver. So I'm using "right" in that way, not as uh, moralistically right. So right view is a perspective, or it's a frame of reference that, and it provides a simple, straightforward understanding of how to bring suffering to an end. Is this? Some of you might know that a part of right-to-view is the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble, so it's this recognition of, this is suffering, this is the arising of suffering, or this is the origin of suffering, this is the cessation of suffering, and this is the way to the ending of suffering. So what's out in front, what the charioteer is following, what the Dharma or the teachings charioteer is following is this perspective or view of this way to suffering and this way to the ending of suffering. This is the way to greater freedom, this is the way to nibbana, this is the way to fearlessness. Because there's this way in which our views, our orientations, our perspectives, our beliefs, the ways in which we understand ourselves and the world these are like the basis on which we make so many decisions in our lives, our views. And for the most part, they're unseen. We don't even know we have them. In fact, they seem like such an inherent part of ourselves, it just seems like they're the truth, or it's the natural way of the world. But our core views are, seem like embedded and habitual, they might not be accurate, they may not be true, and they might not lead us as clearly to the end of suffering, such as views as the world is an unsafe place. I'm only worthy if I serve others. It's important to always be comfortable at all costs. It's important to never be vulnerable. There's so many of these views that we have that we might not even recognize that we have that don't always support us. So right view is this orientation to be sensitive towards suffering. What is leading towards suffering and what isn't leading towards suffering. So then the third stanza of this uh, verse goes, one who has such a vehicle, whether a woman or a man, by means of this vehicle is in the presence of Nibbana. So these two lines, one who has such a vehicle, whether a woman or a man, I'm just trying to be inclusive. Maybe today we would say, no matter the gender, but notice that they're not saying you have to be a monastic or that you have to come from a certain background or there's nothing like this they're just saying whether you're on this vehicle the vehicle is this chariot on the straightway you know with the eightfold path it's this it's it's about what you do It's kind of like the wheels of the Dharma, it's kind of like where the rubber meets the road. The Dharma is not, as I said, not some esoteric teachings, but it's how we show up in the world. It's the way that where we find more freedom. And then this, then the lines that this poem ends, by means of this vehicle as drawn close to Nibbana. Maybe I'll read that whole last stanza one who has such a vehicle whether a woman or a man by means of this vehicle has drawn close to Nibbana Nibbana being awakening I was thinking about this has drawn close to Nibbana, is near Nibbana, they don't say that you get to Nibbana but you're like really close maybe it's and I've, I don't have an excellent answer why it is this is, but I was thinking, well, maybe they don't want to give the impression that Nibbana is a location, that it's, you know, someplace over there that you'll get to later. Because like, Nibbana is found here. It's so common we have this idea we have to seek and go and find, and certainly something like this uh, it suggests that too, this idea that there's a path and then there's a chariot. There's a little bit of a paradox here that it's not actually over there some other time. And there's this uh, analogy that I heard years ago and um, it's really stayed with me. I think it's really powerful. This idea that if you want to get to Nibbana and it feels like Nibbana is over there we'll call that point B, and you're at point A. You're at point A, here, whatever here is, and you want to get to where there's complete freedom. It turns out the way to get to point B is to be completely at point A. Right here, with whatever it is. It's a little bit of a paradox here, and this you know verse allows us to do this, but I'll end here with this idea that you know what's being pointed to with this verse is that the way to fearlessness is the way to nibbana freedom peace and ease and the way to nibbana freedom peace and ease includes ethical behavior and includes views as part of wisdom you know, sila samadhi panya ethics mental development and uh wisdom so sometimes we feel like oh just to not to be less fearless we just have to have courage we just have to learn how to have courage or something like this but it might be an interesting exploration in our own lives what is the relationship between our ethical behavior and fear What happens if we clean up any little areas of unethical behavior? White lies or whatever it might be. And this idea that our views, what views do we have that might be promoting some fear? What would it be like to view our experience through this idea of, you know, to simplify it, this is leading to suffering and this is leading to, to less suffering, no suffering. And it's interesting to maybe even use this language of leading to, because to be sure, sometimes, I mean, we are suffering, and if you think your whole life is just to get out of suffering, then you're just pursuing pleasure, and if that worked, you wouldn't be here, right? <laughs> we were just out pursuing pleasure nonstop, right? Right? We all have tried it. Of course we did. And it didn't work. So we found ourselves here. (laughs) So I don't want to give the sense that right view is just about, you know, minding, you know, just being suffering or not suffering. But this idea of, you know, feeling into our wisdom. Is this going the direction I want it to go or not? being sensitive to that. And the relationship to view and fear... So this poem, that's verse, maybe I'll read it, I'll close with uh, reading it this one last time. The path is called the straight way and fearless is its destination. The chariot is called unswerving fitted with wheels of dharma. Conscience is its leaning board, mindfulness its upholstery. I say, the teachings is the charioteer with right view running out in front. One who has such a vehicle, whether a woman or a man, by means of this vehicle is in the presence of Nibbana. And then maybe I'll open it up and see if there's some questions or comments this idea of sila samadhi panya, ethical behavior mental development which includes mindfulness and concentration and wisdom have a role with fear support us for find in less fear more fearlessness Thanks, Diana. Really appreciate it. Uh, quick question on the, you mentioned the, you know, Sila, Samadhi, Panya. What, how could you define the difference between concentration and mindfulness? Yeah, there, there's a number of different ways we can um, say this. So it, sometimes I like to uh, say the difference this way concentration is, so, so often when we're doing, uh, mind. I'm sorry, mindfulness when we start we're doing like maybe with the breath and then as we often teach it here at imc if there's uh something that's compelling we turn our attention to that let's say there's a really loud sound and we'll just like say oh there's dog barking and we can like just rest maybe with the dog barking and notice that and when it's no longer compelling come back to the breath the knee hurts, go to the knee, come back to the breath. So in this way, with mindfulness practice, this whole notion of distractions doesn't exist. Instead, we whatever seems like to be troubling, we just turn towards and fold it into our practice. We bring our attention to it and we bring our mindfulness to it. So mindfulness is inclusive. Whatever is arising, we're paying attention to. Concentration it's a little bit more exclusive we have like okay I'm going to be on the breath 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 Dog sparking. breath breath just breath like we don't bring our attention to anything else we're just staying here in a in breath and we bring a sense of um, wholeness and a sense of collectedness and a sense of uh, centeredness around the breath does, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Phil. So, hearing all this tonight, I'm really aware that it's about fearlessness, not courage. And in my mind, there's definitely a difference. Like, courage is what I have to do when I'm not fearless. Then I got to do the thing anyway. Was there that concept when this verse was written? Of courage, of courage as different from fearlessness. Yes. yes. And virya, which is one of the fact, uh, faculties, is sometimes translated as courage. Can be translated courage, and it talks about it. So virya is sometimes uh, also translated as energy or something like this. So yeah, there's an idea of courage also.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you for your uh, talking today about fearlessness which we all need. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I uh, reflected on one or two stories uh, which are related to Buddha, where Buddha says ahinsa parmo Dharma. Uh, we have talked about uh, you know, even some, like, musicals and songs from Gregory Peck of India. But um, there is, I feel there are two parts to the fearlessness for everyone around the world being fearless. One is, uh, I'll quote one story. Can you
0: hold the microphone just a little bit closer so I can hear? Yes.
1: Uh, the story is uh, uh, about Anguli Mal, mm-hmm. which I have quoted the before also. So there is uh, it's uh, so one self dealing with uh, fear or like uh, what is out there is one part of it which is essentially courage. Um, But the second part is also, I think, equally important, in which case when Angulimal thinks that, okay, you know, I'm just using an analogy. He used to chop fingers off people and make a garland out of it, um, or killing people or, you know, gouging people. I mean, I'm using strong language here, so I, I hope people are able to bear with me just to establish a point here. Um, It's also, it was like, seemed like Buddha took this upon himself, like his duty to educate Anguli Maal. Hey, uh, he called out, Hey, stop, Um, because he was preparing to do this, whatever he was preparing to do. And Buddha, it was like a transformational thing. He said, "Um, I have stopped, but when will you stop? So it was transformational for him that he was educated, he learned that it is a bad thing to gouge people's eyes or chop people's heads or fingers or whatever. Or like eat... You know, uh, meat or whatever. I'm just causing. I'm saying violence is a bad thing. I mean, there is a book I have quoted before, "The Dance of Shiva," where the, I mean, the author uh, Anand Kumar Swami he goes on to say, violence even in thoughts is equivalent to violence. Mm. That is also Buddha's saying. Um, In there are fourteen essays over there. Um, on all philosophies, all religions. So the point is, it's it's actually it's a it's a twofold uh, uh, matter. One is upon oneself the fear. Myself, I am. Let's say I am a charioteer. I am. Uh, I can be fearless. Uh, but then there is also like the passengers that I am carrying. It's my duty to kind of educate them that.
0: I see. Yeah, but I'll say one thing, though, about this story about Angulimala. For those of you who don't know, Angulimala was like this mass murderer, and he's going to kill the Buddha, and he's uh, like running towards the Buddha, and the Buddha seems to be just casually walking, but Angulimala can't catch up to him. And Angulimala says, hey, stop! And the Buddha says, I have stopped, you stop. But so Angulimala kind of saw that the Buddha a was not afraid of him and B um couldn't be caught and then kind of unfold like the Buddha had stopped doing things that were unethical or had stopped you know all kinds of other things and that's why Angulimala couldn't uh, catch him and and also there was like some supernatural thing happening there maybe I don't know and so it was when Angulimala saw something that was really different, saw that there was a really different way, that he then just became a, eventually became a follower of the Buddha and became awakened eventually. So, this story, it's a very famous story. So, yeah, there's different ways in which fear shows up. Yes, there's this definitely. Thank but you I for would saying this. Yes,
1: also, you know, I guess. I mean, if, yes, if there I w- are people like. You know, I don't know if we should be sending monks around the world to (laughs) talk about these stories and people to be awakened.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you all for your time, and I wish you all a lovely rest of the evening. Thank you.